we're too convinced that other people are ahead of us, that they don't have bad times or, or frustrating times mm-hmm. and less motivational. And, and you got to get out of your own head. I mean, it's not Instagram is the worst place to feel bad about yourself. And Twitter is the worst place to feel bad about the world. Hey, this is Kishar, and you're listening to Season 2 of Undiscovered Worth, the podcast. In this episode, I speak with John Colchin, a content director at IBM. We discuss a moment of empathy that occurred two years ago in a New York City coffee shop that, honestly, because of him, has really impacted my life and the way that I interact with others today. Um, We also talk about the cultural landscape of our country, civic engagement, and motivation. As always, if you enjoy listening to this podcast, be sure to rate, subscribe, and share with your friends. So I've been working on gratitude since probably mid-fall of last year, but um, I've started to make it a point of, for one, expressing gratitude for people in my life, but like to myself, but then also like telling those people the ways that I'm thankful for them. And so I don't even think you'd remember this, but do you remember when we met for coffee that day? I do remember that, yeah. Okay. And I think it was the day, like the day before, um, Philando Castile was like murdered or it was something going on with a shooting, police shooting. Mm -hmm. And so I remember that day I was like supposed to meet you early that morning and I'd been like crying around, like crying on the subway because I was so like at such a mixture of emotions and I cried down the street and like right before I hit the corner, like, um to go into the coffee shop I was like okay pull together pull together um but you asked me like oh how are you and I cried and you let me cry um and I just want to tell you like that meant a lot to me and um especially as an African-American like female like I feel like a lot of times like we're not really allowed to show emotion in that way and so I just am so thankful for you I'm always like when I think back to like my time in New York, I think back a lot of times to that, um, and being allowed to have that space to express my emotions because I was actually kind of embarrassed <laughs> that I was crying. Oh, um, yeah. But I'm really thankful for you. Well, thank you. That means a lot to me. I do remember that, and I do remember that that had happened. Um, I think yeah, it was the day before. I, I remember it had happened recently, and. Um, and so that means a lot. And, and I think um, it takes a lot of courage to admit that uh, that maybe that was a, a struggle in retrospect, right? We always want to seem in these situations un- unrealistically, you know, super strong, almost like superheroes. Yeah. And I remember in my mind just basically knowing that it was, it was such a – a big issue and you know i'm not part of the african-american community but i am extremely um always trying to understand what matters to people and to you just have to listen you have to really take a moment to listen to what's important to people 
And um, so I remember that very, uh, very vividly. And I remember it being an important event overall that was really shaping where our nation was going to go mm-hmm. in these situations. And so I had a lot of empathy at the in the moment. And, and while I, it, I express it in a different way, I think I remember it kind of following me both before and after we met. Um, and, and it was really, I remember just feeling very scared of not knowing what was going to happen in America. It just felt like it was just going to happen again and again and again and again. Um, so that, that sticks out in my mind. Yeah. Well, I was just, I think I'm out, I don't believe in coincidences. Um, and I think that obviously it do something that organization is just very unique in that they let you have, like it acts as a safe space um but i think for that morning for me especially like to be in a city that i'm generally unfamiliar with don't have any family to go to or close close friends um you kind of stood in place of that in a oh, well thank you yeah. that that makes <laughs> that makes me feel um that makes me feel good in the sense that it's nice to you know, you can you can either add to a person's uh, day or to a person's life, or you can take away from it. Um, so I'm glad to know that I added to it. Yeah, really. Well, thank you, and you're welcome. <laughs> <laughs> um, another thing I'll say is it does remind me of something that I was thinking about recently. I went to a panel with it was called Women in Retail at the National. Um, uh, retail federations conference and it and it was these high-ranking women and one of them I went because the CMO of uh, IBM is uh, was on the panel and she brought up a really good point where she said like we think of the world typically traditionally as like professional and personal mm. and she truly believes that as more and more women enter the workplace that as primary caregivers traditionally that they are going to encourage the workplace to break down those barriers in the idea that you would be able to show more emotion at work and be able to um, express that you're having a hard time and she told a really powerful story about somebody who had lost their sibling Mm. and how he like opened up about it because she had like created an atmosphere to to be able to do that and so um that kind of reminds me of just where we might be heading like we we were talking about it being a, a rare instance and a refreshing instance but what if that became the norm you know yeah that's really interesting i've never even i never even thought about that kind of perspective um always think of like oh more women in the workforce will make it just like generally more equal um but i never thought of it in that sense so that's really interesting yeah i i mean another way to think about it would be just i it, it it's like it's it's changing the the standard right like yeah. when you have 
when you have a, 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 you have different um, perspectives, it, it just changes the entire dynamic and really for the better. Um, I think it's really important. So I was very inspired by what she said. So yeah, well, it's really it's really cool. You get to go to conferences and talks like that. <laughs> mm-hmm. Do you find though that um, I read like a while back that some people were raised that to think that the polite thing to do is to avoid talking about issues like social issues, political issues in professional situations. And I guess, I mean, I agree with that. I think that that was, is very encouraged in a lot of instances that, Oh, the polite thing to do is just to not talk about it rather than to have healthy conversations about what's obviously on everybody's mind kind of thing, you know? Yeah. That literally makes me laugh. Cause that's, <laughs> that's like Southern culture all summed up that's yeah. like southern culture we don't talk about anything that's like difficult or that makes anyone feel uncomfortable <laughs> um i think it's i think it's a disservice to it be really honest is, because yeah. it, I mean, how are you ever gonna like evolve as a society if you don't listen to each other i mean it's okay like it's okay to respectfully disagree with people in my opinion but i don't think it's okay to just stay silent yeah. I I feel like for me, um, it's in terms of like, in the context of like this, like Southern culture, I think it's almost a power thing, you know, like certain groups have been silenced into oppression, you know? And so mm-hmm. I feel like in talking about it, it forces people to acknowledge that there is a problem or that there is systemic, a systemic issue to begin with. So to some extent, I feel like, yeah, like partial part of the reason why people don't want to talk about things is because it's uncomfortable or it's not necessarily seen as polite. But I also feel like it's almost a power struggle, too. I don't know. This is oversimplifying it, but I will say one of the, you know, Calvin Stowell, he uh, worked to do something for a long time. Yeah. And he he posted a very... He got it from somewhere else, and the very oversimplified way of putting it is something like, let's say it's like sexism, racism, whatever you want to call it, is bad. I am a good person, therefore I am not this. Yes. And I think that really inhibits people from even considering the possibility that, not that they are a bad person, but that they might have views that are wrong, that are views that might not be the best way to look at life. And that you got to open your mind when it comes to that, in my opinion. You've got to say to yourself, this stuff doesn't mean that I'm a bad person necessarily. You yeah, know? yeah. Okay, so I have to ask, um, mm-hmm. Like, what life experiences has led you to become, like, such an open and seemingly (laughs) balanced person? Um, (laughs) Because I feel like it takes a lot of, like, introspective thinking. And I don't know. I guess how how has your life made you become this way? Or is that how you've always been? That's a good question. 
it's not how I've always been. Um, maybe to some extent, I would. I had very, um, I had pretty liberal parents. Uh, my dad was born to two professors at a time when women were not professors typically, and my grandmother was, and and my mom was born to um, a family in in Los Angeles. Um, that were very much part of like the Hollywood scene, the golden age of Hollywood is what you would think of it. And so mm. in some ways they were very influenced in being very liberal. And I grew up in a very conservative state, right? The state of Kansas is one of the most conservative states, I would say, mm. in the U.S. So what that really, that kind of juxtaposition of, of those two different worlds did kind of teach me a little bit about um, being open because my parents were so liberal, but I had such close friends that were very conservative and I had to really kind of navigate that. So I would say that was probably the start of it, but I like to really open my, sorry, I owe my perspective probably to exposure. Um, and one thing about multicultural places like New York city is you just meet people from all walks of life. And so I don't know how I would necessarily look at different religions. If I continued to stay in a place where the only people I had ever met were Christian and Jewish. Yeah. I don't know what I would think of the world if the only uh, people that I'd ever known were black, Hispanic, and white. Mm-hmm. Um, to be able to deal with that everyday interaction with all walks of life really did teach me a lot of patience. And then I, of course, have to give a lot of shout out to my parents because my dad's a really patient guy. and. I think he taught me a lot about that. So, um, yeah, I, I, I would say that kind of started it. And then lastly, it's just life experience. I think as you get older, you start to be a little less hot-headed and, and start to be a little bit more um, understanding. Okay, cool. Um... I mean, have you ever gone through, like, a humbling experience, right? Where you feel like you'd never be the same again. Yeah. (laughs) Oh my gosh. Yeah, definitely. I think my experience with New York city, um, I love the city, love it so much. And I'll probably, I wouldn't be surprised if I went back at some point in time, but, um, I think going into it, thinking that I was going to have like a job, Cause I knew I wasn't going to have a job at do something because they'd already had a hired a graphic designer. But like, I had this idea that my, like of what my life was going to look like. And by the end of the internship, I realized that like, that wasn't even what I wanted. And that wasn't what my life was going to look like. So that was like very humbling for me. Um, but I definitely think, yeah, I think it's a lot of times those humbling experiences that change us the most. <laughs> and, and I agree. And I think that, you know, the job world is one of those things. Mm -hmm. You know, your whole life, you're pretty much guaranteed that you're going to be in school until high school graduation. Everybody's kind of for you. The law is for you. Yeah. Uh, Your parents are for you typically. And then once you get that, if you're, you know, fortunate enough to go to college and to be able to afford to go all the way through it, um, 
you know, if you do the work and you pay the tuition, you're pretty much guaranteed to to graduate. So then suddenly you get into this system where there's really no guarantee and that automatically makes you more humble, I think. Oh my gosh, yeah. I would definitely say that I agree. <laughs> um, <laughs> so can you tell me about how you ended up going from Kansas to New York City? I'm always really curious of people's journeys to New York City. <laughs> Somebody told me like most people who go to New York City, they're either um, like running from something or running to something. So I'm always curious as to which one, <laughs> which one people, <laughs> which path they chose, you know, to run to or from. Yeah. Um, you know, I, at the time, really was having a hard time uh, coming out and dealing with this concept that I was going to have a relationship with a man one day and not uh, a woman and I didn't feel comfortable where I was mm. and on top of that I I felt like I was very ambitious and I was very drawn to that and um, it, I just didn't see it there right like yeah. it was so family oriented um, in the type of family that I didn't envision myself creating um though i thought i would go to california because that's where my mom's family was from and then they always tell you to go for uh for what is it like safety schools uh like realistic schools and then reach schools that's what princeton review yeah. said when i was trying to look <laughs> for colleges and i didn't get into my realistic school in boston and i got into my reach school in New York. I got into NYU. And so um, it kind of happened by accident. I hadn't really set my sights on New York until I had almost on a whim applied to NYU. And I just decided to do it. And I packed up my Honda Civic with my sister. She was going to school in Massachusetts <laughs> at the time. So we packed up the car and it took like two or three days to drive all the way here. And I remember getting to the Lincoln Tunnel. And at the time, you I didn't know what Easy Pass was. So <laughs> I accidentally went in the Easy Pass lane instead of the cash lane. And then there were all these cars honking. And then the, the Easy Pass thing eventually just lifted up and let us go and we thought we were going to get a ticket and we never did and so I, I i don't know how i did it but i got into new york city my first time in a car for free um and it was great because i really did feel accepted i think like in the first or second week and i went to school i i made friends with these guys that i met at the lgbt center at nyu and we some of them i was friends with throughout my entire college career and to keep in touch with them and it was a great experience uh to have that and i think i'm always gonna think fondly about that time because again like i was exposed to all these different types of people from all walks of life and it, it was just so thrilling to me yeah would you say that that was like a defining period of time for you in your life I think it's a defining period for anybody when they first stop seeing their parents every day. 
mm. no matter how old you are, what your path is, um, to prove to yourself and to others that you can exist and survive without them getting you out of bed every day and feeding you every night um, is important. So, yeah, I would say it was really a defining time for sure. And what was it like going, because I mean, I imagine it was already a huge culture shock um, to move to New York City, but what was it like going back to Kansas for visits? You know, I think about this a lot. It happened slowly. It didn't feel so weird, you know, going back for the holidays Mm -hmm. or for the, I think the first summer I actually spent most of my summer there uh, in Kansas. Um, So in that sense, it wasn't that different, and my friends were still there. And then slowly, it started to become stranger and stranger to me um, as people, you know, stopped coming back as often as I did. Yeah. um, As my parents started having their own lives without us necessarily, um, But one thing that I really value is I think it's important to go a lot of different places, not only around the world, but specifically within your own country to really understand people and the landscape. And I feel like I understand the current state of America more than I would have if my parents didn't live there because I go back and I just get to see it with my own eyes. I get to see the signs in people's yards. I get to hear Mm. them casually talk about politics in a way that would not be talked about in New York City. And um, even the things that they don't see that now I see, this idea of housing being just so um, almost subtly segregated in the sense that you know they, people don't even realize that they're walking around in, in, in this environment that's so homogenous and yeah i kind of want to say like do you do you not see what this is but of course they don't if it's not all you've ever known or you're used to it and so it keeps my eyes fresh basically it really helps me understand um, what people's daily lives might be like and and what those conversations need to be. Yeah. I feel like I can also, I guess, relate in the same way because um, coming back to Birmingham, and I would say like Birmingham is probably the one little liberal dot in like the entire state of Alabama. So, And I think it's because of the university. Um, mm-hmm. We have like people from all over the world that attends like the school um, in Birmingham. Um, but it's always like, I always have a hard time explaining to people because I, I mean, I talk to people who have different political views than you and I do. Um, but it's always like so hard to explain to them like what it's like, quote, on the, like, on the outside, you know? Yeah, I would agree with that. And it's tough because it is possible to have a uh, love for multiple places or even two different places that you would consider your home yeah um it's not it's not ever gonna feel like you're not torn in some ways yeah because i think in the same way that it's hard for me to explain to people here in birmingham what it's like on the outside 
it's also like very hard for me to explain to people like my friends in New York City what it's like on like here you know especially like after the election people would call me and be like are you okay like how like what are things like down there and it's like so hard for me to explain like when I say like oh it's just like a normal day they don't understand that (laughs) because like here you know like most people in the state of Alabama are Trump supporters so like you step outside and it's like a normal day um (laughs) it's just so it's it's like definitely like having feet in both worlds (laughs) Um, yeah, and not really knowing how to explain to both sides or how to figure out a way to get both sides to understand each other. If that makes any sense, I don't know. <laughs> it is hard, and um, I, you know, say what you will about her role um, in the administration. Um, Condoleezza Rice spoke recently at a conference I went to. And she's very intelligent. Mm -hmm. And she said something really that I don't think I'll ever forget. She said, we are currently in this state in politics where in order for me to win, you have to lose completely. And that is a really dangerous mentality. Um, it, It really, life really shouldn't be that simplistic i mean the only thing really that should be that simplistic is a sports uh situation where (laughs) one team wins definitively i mean other than that like this idea that compromise doesn't exist or that you're fully losing something because another side gets its gain is is really in my opinion dangerous yeah that's very true i think it's um maybe fear on both sides i mean i think Obviously, like, racism and homophobia, those things are, like, obviously wrong. But I think that there is some fear on both sides of, like, okay, if I learn or really meet face-to-face with a person who has a directly opposing view, like, what happens then? You know what I mean? Yeah, and I think that the, that what's so complex is a lot of people define those things differently, what one person thinks is racist or homophobic, another does not consider it such. And as a result, you have a lot of conflict as people are trying to right the other um, in that sense. And I would highly encourage you watch um, Sarah Silver's Sarah Silverman has this show on Hulu. And she interviews this woman who used to be part of the Westboro Baptist Church. Hmm. And she she left it because she met her husband on Twitter, who was of the opposing side, interestingly <laughs> enough. But something she said is that the nastiness that that organization has, I mean, it's a hate group. It's classified yeah. by many organizations as a hate group. She says their efforts in their minds, they're truly looking to save people, that they love people, and that's how they're showing them how much they love them as God's children by saying these awful things and telling them that they're horrible and that they're going to hell. I mean, that's she said that that's the mentality there. Wow. I can't yeah. even imagine. <laughs> it's it's a little <laughs> frightening. Actually, yeah. it's a lot it's very frightening but yeah. um yeah 
so um i guess my next question or probably my last question i guess um in this kind of political climate and with all that's going on um what ways whether big or small do you continue to try to create social good or how many people would say resist (laughs) (laughs) that's a good question um you know i would say never forget that the most impact that you can have is at the local level Mm. and and i think that what i try to do is in my everyday life be courteous to people to give to organizations that um, have an impact locally it really helps me and that's just me personally um, but there are food banks um, local religious organizations that I help out with and I, I think it's important because you get that sense of community that makes people happy and makes them celebrate differences I I just feel like I'm much more impactful in that way and I think a lot of people would agree that I've ever had the chance to do that and um, in New York City for instance I live in the district of city councilman Jimmy Van Bramer and um, I've had the opportunity to meet him several times and to support his campaigns on city council and to stay actively involved and it makes me feel good to know that i'm not following someone blindly that i'm holding them accountable as a politician but also staying up to date with what they're doing and deciding on my own if i agree with them or not um so that's that's really my encouragement is to be active at the local level um, because it's so rewarding and even when you feel like the country you know at the national level might be very turbulent mm-hmm. um, there's so much impact you can make locally how do you feel how do you continue to move forward when you lack motivation or have self-doubt oh. and you mean just in general or professionally um i guess in general it's a conversation I've been having with people, um, like friends who are like my age, um, about how like debil- how debilitating um, a lot, having a like the the how debilitating one self doubt is, but also the fact that a lot of times people f- feel like the only way they can continue is if they feel inspired, as opposed to mm. just doing the work. Oh, I see what you mean. Yeah. Um. There's a lot of things that come to mind. I would say one thing is that it's helpful to think, A, that you're part of something larger, typically. Mm. Um, And doing something as minute as, let's say, like, I've had to schedule meetings before, right? It's not really my job at work, but I've done that before, Mm. and a lot of them. Um, But at the end of the day, you have to think about the impact that you're making collectively. And it it makes a, it helps motivate me, I would say. Um, The second thing is, I think 
in today's day and age, like I was talking about this with this idea of failures, we're too convinced that other people are ahead of us, that they don't have bad times or, or frustrating times mm-hmm. and less motivational. And, and you got to get out of your own head. I mean, it's not... Instagram is the worst place to feel bad about yourself and Twitter is the worst place to feel bad about the world. Um, <laughs> yeah. I, mean, I mean, they're, they're just really, they mess with you into thinking that things are realities that they really aren't. And it's really important to, to keep that top of mind that everybody goes through it. And the last thing I'd say is you got to have your own joys, you know, and, Sometimes if I haven't done anything inspiring that day, there's a really good website called stumble upon and you can filter based on your interests. Uh And sometimes I'll just stumble and it's like channel surfing, but I'll do it with either videos or photography Uh and you can just get a moment of inspiration that day of all that's out there that's possible. And that really helps me kind of power through it. Because at the end of the day, there's highs and lows in a day, in a year, in a lifetime, and you just got to power through the lows. It's never going to be highs 24-7. Well, great. Well, thank you. I I know that's like a random question, but I always... No, I think it's a great question, and I think it's a really relevant question because at the end of the day, like, it it can get really depressing, especially Mm -hmm. when you choose an artistic career yeah. but you're not a, with but you're not a professional artist so to speak like um there's a lot of different books about this how artists really struggle with um how much do i sacrifice for commercialism and everybody has a different line in the sand mm-hmm. and you have to decide where your line is going to be some people they really want to be purists and they're going to be artists forever and some people are willing to to sacrifice a little bit more for a steady paycheck and there's nothing that you should never be ashamed by it in my opinion because at the end of the day you know economies have to move societies have to work together yeah. and if you're gonna support the people you love and be part of their lives you've got to do it um you should still hold your ground in what you believe in but um yeah it's you gotta def- make it on your own terms i would say yeah i would agree well, thank you again. I'm just yeah, so excited that I got to talk to you. I feel like it was a great conversation. You've been listening to Undiscovered Work, the podcast. If you enjoyed, be sure to rate, subscribe, and share with others. Also, be sure to follow Undiscovered Worth on Instagram and Facebook.